I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Well, this was an interesting <laughs> chapters. Um, <laughs> I think I think the coolest part is in chapter six, we we cover kind of their journey, right? The, the boats are made, everything's set. They've got the stones, everything's ready to go. I never realized how long this trip was. I don't think I ever really thought about it because you know we talk about Nephi's trip and there's stuff that happened along the way and. I don't really get into how long it took. This one tells you how long that it took in, in verse 11. And thus they were driven forth 344 days upon the water. That's a almost a year. <laughs> that, I wonder if they had stops. Like, it, cause that is an incredible amount of food and water to carry. So these yeah. then have to be big. Or well, they have maybe yeah. a... We have like a like a mule barging behind on a rope that's carrying like all the pack mule stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they have an animal barge where they're breeding animals back there, so they just so they can eat. Like I don't know, but it says three. I mean, it's not like a forty days, forty nights type thing, where it's like it just means a long time. It's pretty specific. Three hundred forty-four, forty and four days upon the water. Maybe they were fishing. Maybe they were, you know, doing stuff to, to supplement their food. But even even if you take out, maybe the Lord made it so they didn't have to eat as much. I don't know. But just the, like, being in a boat for that long, yeah. being anywhere for that long is crazy, man. Well, when you think about the journeys that, you know, the sailboats took, you know, during, what, the 1500s, 1600s to come to America and stuff, you could... I mean, it would take months, but those those boats are sailing, which I don't know if these guys are sailing or they're just kind of floating about. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also had, a, you know, navigation. They, they knew where they were going, but that's still a ridiculous amount of time. We get angry when we're like in a four-hour flight. We have to sit on <laughs> for 30 minutes, you know what I mean? And then we're about to start a riot, you know, and... Everybody stands up before they open the door to the plane. Everybody's standing there for 10 minutes wanting to get off. Yeah, this is this is crazy. And the fact that they had all these people and 
everyone kind of just, I don't know, I'm sure they lost their patience and stuff, but um, you can understand why they were so happy when they arrived at the promised land, because it was like, oh my gosh, we get out of this thing and we're safe and we're on dry land again. And uh, man, I was just, I was just really impressed to hear how long that trip was. I was going to say, here's a thought I had. We know that this record of the people of uh, the brother, the Jaredites, was discovered by the people of Limhi, yeah. who left Jerusalem, and, and then they were trying to get back to Jerusalem, and so they sent out scouts, and they just stumbled across this desolate land, and then stumbled across this record. They brought it back until... Um, what is it, Ammon? Or, or someone stumbled across them, led them back to Sarahamla. They gave them to King Mosiah, I believe. And King Mosiah was able to translate the record. But right before King Mosiah, we have King Benjamin, who kind of speaks quite a bit and, and makes a big drastic change in their government. He takes them from kings to judges, upper ju high judges and lower judges. And then he spends quite a bit of time speaking about the evils of a king. Because... Yeah that is wicked can like uh, do much harm and it's really hard to overthrow a wicked king and all these things. And then kind of the bulk of the Jaredite story here where it tells us kind of about the rulings is a lot of that exact same thing. This this uh, intrigue between these kings and who's heir and, and, and kind of like who can rise up to take over and every now and then they have a righteous one and they even have a righteous one that does good things for the people, but isn't righteous with God himself personally, you know, right. and, that out. and there's a lot of, a lot of that. And then it talks a little bit about, um, what's it called? Um, secret combinations, you know? And one of the things that really stuck out to me in the manual was, um, I never consider it this way. It was, it, and I know I'm jumping around, but this is kind of at the end. What the last uh, section when it says, "What is a secret combination?" And it says, "When two or more people conspire to keep their wicked acts secret, they are involved in a secret combination. They are often motivated by the desire for power or riches." I always envision secret combination of getting into robbers as like these mass enterprises, right? These these really big. Um, you know, mob families or, or whatever, right? But this is kind of saying anytime one, so you could, two, one or other, two or more individuals, whatever, conspire to, to take advantage of people and to have like a pack. And I, every, and when I read this, I think about the show Survivor. <laughs> it really, it made it really popular in our day that, hey, Let's pretend we're friends to get this person out. And then knowing that only one of us can ever be the ruler. So eventually we're going to have to turn on each other. But right. in the time we are friendly, we, act, you know, and it's, and then all it made me think of is, is this idea of secret combinations is way more common and doesn't have to be this elaborate, complicated ruse to take over America. And, and you know, although there could be that, but it's mostly when two people conspire and they try to circumvent the system, try not to follow the rules, try to uphold their own rules, or try to use the rules themselves to unethically out somebody or take 
unproportionate a benefit. All of that is kind of the birth of this secret combination, secret society, you know? Yeah, and in chapter 8, um, starting with verse 18, it says, And it came to pass they formed a secret combination, even as they of old, which combination is most abominable and wicked above all in the sight of God. For the Lord worketh not in secret combinations. Neither doth he will that man should shed blood, but in all things hath forbidden it from the beginning of man. Very clearly stating, this is not how the Lord works. The Lord will never put you in a situation of secrecy and wickedness. Will never tell you to do something evil and to keep it a secret. And you see that a lot of times people uh, throughout history have used uh, religion or whatever to to say, well, we have to do this because this is for the betterment of mankind. I mean, you can kind of look at at Nephi's situation where he had to kill Laban. That normally would be considered a wicked act, right? But the Lord never said, this is a secret, don't tell anyone you did this. He had him write it down. And it was also not an inherently evil thing, right? Because of the whole greater purpose thing. But... I don't know. You see, you see manipulations, and you see people really messing with with well-meaning people. I'm thinking like con men, stuff like that, where they're taking advantage of people that are trying to do something right or trying to do something good by saying, "This is this is right," but let's keep it a secret. We don't want everyone to know about it, or or something like that. Where that's that's a secret combination, and the Lord the Lord doesn't work that way. And then in verse 20, it says, And now I, Moroni, do not write the manner of their oaths and combinations, for it hath been made known unto me that they are had among all people, and they are had among the Lamanites. And when I read that, I was like, this is clearly, it, it seems to me that this is like a, a symptom of the natural man, right? It's our natural tendency that when we do something wrong to not want to divulge that. Or when we know we're about to do something wrong and we're, we're working with someone, that we want to keep that a secret. We don't want the whole world to know about it. And he's saying that's not how the Lord works. It's, yeah. it's been in every people. And it, it exists today. It existed in the Lamanites. It existed with the Jaredites. It existed with Cain. <laughs> and it exists today. It's not something that just is going to go away. And it's, I guess, the, the motive for us should be to make sure that we aren't involved in secret combinations and to make sure that we can expose it when it when we discover it. Because every time those secret combinations happen, in verse 22, and whatsoever nation shall uphold such secret combinations to get power and gain, until they shall spread over the nation, behold, they shall be destroyed. It's like, if you let this get out of hand, if you let this become so pervasive in your society that it's everywhere and you can't trust anyone or anything, and people are saying things to each other in good faith, but behind it is a bunch of lies. It will destroy it. It leads to instability. It leads to destruction. And that's what he's warning us about, that these secret combinations, even though they've existed in every people, and even though it doesn't have to be a you know a huge crime conglomerate, it can be just two people at a time. If we allow it to become part of our society and culture to be like that, it will destroy it. It will break it apart. Well... It's interesting that uh, back in verse 6, when when they arrive at the promised land. In chapter 6? Yeah, chapter 6, my bad. Um, they, 
they start spreading out throughout the land and they begin to wax strong, you know. But then in verse 22, 21, 22, um, the brother Jared and Jared are getting up there in years. And then it says, and it came to pass that the people desired of them that they should anoint one of their sons to be king over them. And now, behold, this was a grievous, grievous, grievous unto them. And the brother of Jared said unto them, Surely this thing leadeth into captivity. And Jared said unto his brother, Suffer me that they may have a king. Choose ye out of among my sons a king, even whom you will. So even, even the, I'm not saying that all kings are bad. And that, I don't think that's what he's saying. But he's saying that, when we start setting up one person above another by kind of, I don't know, kings feel to me like they're, they don't really have merit. It's more like a lottery system, you know, <laughs> but they do it anyway. And it was, and then these kings is what starts all of these wars and contention. And then the tactic they use is not just like a democratic tactic. They, they go to these plans these secrecy things these these plots where they begin to plot against each other and strategize and it's kind of that saying all is fair in love and war well as unfortunately as that is that's where people go when something is so dear to them like the way they are ruled the way the laws are imposed upon them there's a big temptation to circumvent the system for your perceived right righteous outcome you know yeah. and i i think that's really contrast by the recent um, general conference talks that have been given to us uh as members in this time of kind of uh, uh multiple uh, battling uh, political opinions kind of been told you should absolutely go support your vote your conscience do what's right support things that supported the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also follow the process. Don't try circumventing the process. Because I think, and I don't know, this is my opinion, but I don't think the right thing can be done the wrong way. You know, I don't think that pleases the Lord. Uh, and the right thing could be what is the right thing, but the ends cannot justify the means. Because that's what leads to these kind of secret combinations, you know. The other part I found interesting is in Ether chapter 7. Um, we see that the, there is a righteous king, this Oriha. And then there's begins to be strife and, and different emerging opinions. And in verse 23 it says, And also in the reign of Shul, there came prophets among the people who were sent, sent from the Lord, prophesying the wickedness and idolatry of the people and bringing a curse upon the land that they should be destroyed if they did not repent. And I think if we step back and we look at overall this Jaredite story, we know Mormon is including it here because it's very much a foreshadow of what's happening in his current timeline. His civilization is dying. They were so blessed. They were brought the best intentions, the greatest covenants, the best promises were given to come and be bountiful and have a wonderful life in this new promised land. And they did that. And then slowly they began to relax and allow pride.
you know it little by little the downfall of the civilization and then you look here again at the Jaredites and although it's a very small book and a very small account you see that continuously the Lord sent them prophets and I thought it was really interesting verse 25 well 24 he said it came to pass that they did revile against the prophets and did mock them and did and it came to pass that the king Shul did execute judgment against all those who did revile against the prophets. And he did execute a law throughout the land, which gave power unto the prophets that they should go whithersoever they would. And by this cause, the people were brought unto repentance. And because the people did repent of their iniquities and idolatries, the Lord did spare them. And they began again to prosper. So they go through almost these, these ups and these lows throughout this journey where... They're called to repentance, but I, I thought it was really interesting that they purposely made a law to say, you need to allow these prophets to speak their mind. And we know in other verses of the scriptures, in, in previous chapters, I think in Helaman, in Alma, that uh, in Alma or early Helaman, late Alma, when the people, there was a time when the church didn't rule, wasn't it wasn't uh, like a totalitarian, they didn't rule everything they were non-members and the church were advice leave the non-members alone don't force them as long as they follow the laws they can dwell with us and we can have peace and likewise there were laws given to the non-members who said hey you can't persecute the members for their beliefs we have religious freedom type of thing you know and and i find that really interesting that the lord will you know he he will cause destruction and will not put up with iniquity but he does allow for people who have different points of view as long as they're civil and as long as they they obey the laws of their land that are righteous you know um i don't know maybe i'm looking way too much into that but i thought it was it was neat that as soon as they were allowed the prophets were allowed the opportunity to share their message that it did have an impact on the people and they did turn from their ways and it kind of kind of validates the scriptures we read before in the Book of Mormon that says, you know, that that the word had more power than the sword. And you're going to see there's a lot of sorting going on around here, a lot of wars and and over and overthrowing each other, uh, different kings, you know. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised to see how many times it's like, and then this guy took over. And then they did okay. And then this guy came in and he took over and then things started to fall apart. And so the people repented. And then this guy took over and he was a righteous king and they began to thrive. And then the secret combinations come in. I mean, it's like we went through the pride cycle in these, what, five, six chapters, like a dozen times. Like, <laughs> like really crazy. One of the interesting ones is, um, is the King Morianton in chapter 10. Uh, this is after the King Replicish. Morianton, it says in verse 9 of chapter 10, he gathered together an army of outcasts and went forth and gave battle unto the people, and he gained power over many cities. And the war became exceedingly sore and did last for the space of many years, and he did gain power over all the land and did establish himself as king. So one of these guys that kind of takes advantage of the situation goes in, becomes king. And after he had established himself as king, he did ease the burden of the people, by which he did gain favor in the eyes of the people, and they did anoint him to be their king. So... He kind of gets in there, makes it easy, uh, an easy life for everyone, and they start to support him. And he did do justice unto the people. 
but not unto himself because of the, the many, his many whoredoms, wherefore he was cut off from the presence of the Lord. Now, this was interesting to me because this is a guy who I think had good intentions. Yeah, he wanted to do what was right, started to you know ease the, the burdens on the people, started to do justice by them. But I think he got drunk with power and he started to do these many whoredoms, as it says, and he was cut off from the presence of the Lord. And it came to pass that Morianton built up many cities, and the people became exceedingly rich under his reign, both in buildings and in gold and silver, and in raising grain, and in flocks and herds, and such things which had been restored unto them. And Morianton did live an exceedingly great age, and then begat Kim. So, it's interesting, because the people in, this, in that case didn't really suffer that much, even though their king was not righteous. And I asked, you know, as I'm reading this, I was like, why? Why? Because that's not how the pattern goes, right? Usually, bad leadership leads to, to secret combinations and tumultuous times. And then, um, in that situation, it didn't really seem like it turned out that way. But he was cut off from the presence of the Lord. And I think what that what that situation teaches me is that, as a people, we are not subject to the righteousness or lack of righteousness of our leaders. It is not always a direct one-to-one. -one. If our, if we have a good leader, then we will be prosperous. And if we have a bad leader, then we'll suffer. That would take away a lot of our agency and the choices we make, right? right? This leader seemed like he had good intentions. He ended up kind of becoming a, a not so great a guy. But the people still were not, the people were not cut off from the presence of the Lord. Just he was. And I think what that teaches me is that as a people, wherever we are, we, we can still prosper even if our leadership is not great. Well, that's their fear. You know, the fear of King Mosiah or King with the kings was not, not that there will ever be a bad king. It's that bad kings tend to influence people to do bad things right. and make bad laws. And, but like you mentioned, if the people choose to still be righteous, it kind of negates. Well, it doesn't negate their power, but it... it it makes it so that leader is ripe for iniquity, not or or that leader is ripe for destruction, not the people, you know. Right. And I think maybe there's a, a little bit of why the members of the church throughout the entire world are called to be the salt of the earth, the right. thing that will preserve it in these last days, as we know that bad governments and leadership and and even good people with good intention that go awry. What, what we it's almost like my mom would always be like, you know, you have to look at someone and take the good and reject the bad habits, you know, and and we have to be judicious like that. We have to take take the good around us and reject the bad. So you want to hear a crazy, weird thought I've had? So as I've read, <laughs> you can say no. <laughs> as I as I read this. Ether, and as I consider Ether or the Jaredite record here sitting in the middle of the Book of Mormon, I started to get really afraid, like afraid of for myself. Because the, the message here is you start out choosing to follow the Lord. And he in turn leads you to a better place. And as he leads you, he gives you challenges and obstacles that will help you grow. But then 
as you grow and as you overcome these challenges and you can be trusted, you're given more power, more blessings, more, more responsibility. And the great trial of our day is how do you maintain your self-righteous? How do you maintain and walk upright before the Lord? When all of this tells us that the, the greatest temptation is to ease up, to let go of the discipline, to let go of the rod a little, to get comfortable and to get to a point where you feel, you know what, I see the rod, I'm going to run over to that bush and, 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 and pick some berries and I'll be right back, you know. You know, we, we, we always think these minor detours and it's in the, and that's what the Book of Mormon has taught me so much is it's in the little tiny things, the things we think insignificant, either for good or for evil that have a compounding effect that before you know you can you can either have changed your entire life around and you come to the Lord or you allow these little tiny things in your far from the path and you're like I don't even remember what it was like I don't even remember that that fire I had and the and the peace I felt now all I feel is despair and that's how these civilizations end. They end bitter. They end cursing the Lord and wanting to die. You know, they end like almost like de-evolving. And that's what kind of scared me because I thought, man, as much as I want and I feel and I love these things, how do I make sure that I don't let go? You know, because if they could let go, I can't think myself special. I can't think myself immune. And that's the big temptation that Satan tries to say you're immune therefore you you can let down your guard come down by degrees like like that general you know just meet me halfway bring your guards with you we're just gonna have a conversation I think that's one of the the things about that we don't think that just because we're active or just because we have a heritage of faith or whatever that we're somehow immune or less susceptible to those types of uh, same mistakes that the Jaredites and the Lamanites made, allowing ourselves, even even this challenge we've been given by the prophet uh, today, actually, um, today's Friday, um, November 20th, <laughs> we had this uh, invitation from the prophet to share on social media for the next seven days the things we're grateful for, which is awesome. And it's going to be a great experience if we do it right. But I think there's also a temptation or there's a possibility that you could use it as like, uh, humble brag you know what I mean like I'm so grateful that I never have any problems and I'm so grateful that I have this <laughs> 21 room mansion and I'm so grateful that I never get sick like all the other people you know <laughs> like we got to be careful that we show true gratitude because even pride can sneak in in, in funny ways yeah. and it can begin to weaken you and it can begin to make you think that oh I've got this made it's interesting because one of the sections in, in the lesson is the Lord blesses us when we're humble. And he talks about how most of this chapter is basically about the pride and wickedness and the negative consequences. But every time that the people are humble, they prosper. And if we are to learn anything from that whole pride cycle thing is that when you're humble, when you check yourself and when you have a reset time, when you refocus on what's most important and where all of your blessings come from, that's when you start to prosper. 
that's when you start to experience good good things in your life. That made me think of the Nephites and Lamanites. The Nephites throughout the book seem to be more prosperous than the Lamanites. And this was attributed to them following the commandments of God. Not because, and they came from the same family. Their lineage is the same. It wasn't, but then they started to look different and act differently and create kind of like these sub or two different cultures, you know? Yeah. And one that felt wronged by the other tended to always hang on to these grudges. Like your brother Nephi, he tried to rule over us. He tried to trick us. And they tended to be idle. And it mentions that in the Book of Mormon. They tended to be idle. And they tended to kind of not be as industrious as the Lamanites. I mean the Nephites. And so for them, like their temptation may be, or, or their, their remedy may have been to forgive and let go of these perceived false traditions and to learn to be industrious like the Nephites. The Nephites, on the other hand, kind of suffered on the other side because as soon as they began to prosper, they thought, oh, this is all because of me, my own doing, my own strength. I don't have to take heed of the Lord as much anymore. And those Lamanites, and kind of um, alluded to this, if we see those that are less fortunate than us and we tend to withhold our help and say it's because of their decisions that they're in the situation they're in. He's saying, how can we do that when we're all beggars? Yeah. We're all dependent on the Lord. You, you're allowing your blessings to become a curse now for you. And you're withholding help from others. So it's like, and that's like the perfect, whatever, example of like how we are living right now. We have all these ideologies. On either even within our families or within our cities or states and countries where we're that person has ill-begotten gains they've wronged us or this person has because of their situation i'm not going to help them you know and the lord has kind of said you need to cut all that out you need to be kind you need to follow the rules you need to help each other you need to forgive you need to let go of bad things and, and nourish good traditions and, and protect your wives and your children, teach them at a young age, you know, all of these things. And, and we sometimes, like the Jaredites, we get so caught up in the posturing for advantage. That's kind of what I see here. Everyone is posturing for some sort of advantage. While they're doing that, they are ignoring the one thing that will be an advantage is being obedient to the Lord, okay. following his commandments. And and doing that even despite the difficulties of daily life. Like the trials that come up are not an excuse to not have to be as righteous or to not be as faithful in your prayer and in your study. Like it's interesting. There's a a quote at the end of the the Sunday school manual for this lesson. Um, our trials prepare us to receive eternal life. And it says, speaking in general conference during the difficult years of World War II, Elder Charles A. Callis of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles said, We are told that when the Jaredites in their barges set forth from the land of promise, fierce and terrible tempests prevailed. The winds blew, and they were in imminent danger all the while on the perilous journey. God sustained them. And we read that although these gales and tempests raged, holding destruction in their wake, that the wind was continually blowing toward the promised land. And these adversities through which we are passing, these terrible wars and all these horrible things that are prevailing. Let me just insert pandemics and stuff like that in there, too. 
<laughs> are in the power of God. He can stop them when he chooses, when his divine purposes are fulfilled. But let us not forget that through this sea of trouble, our adversities, the experiences through which we pass, and which God will make, work together for our good, if we will obey him. All these are blowing us toward the heaven, the haven of rest, to a glorious future, to eternal life. I've heard people say, you know, if if God is really capable of doing anything, why would he just allow this this pandemic to rage through the planet. And we had a big fast back in a few months ago, and, uh, you know, to help us through this. And people have, you know, I've seen friends and, and stuff on Facebook say, yeah, so we all went hungry so that this thing would go away and it's still here and it's worse than ever. So where's your God now? And it's supposed to be a way of saying that God doesn't exist or he doesn't have power over this stuff or he's a, a God that doesn't really care about you because he's letting all these horrible things happen. And if he really did care and love us, he would end it. Look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand the whole situation. Why would this be the trial that we as a planet have to face right now? No idea. Why do individuals have to suffer who maybe were completely innocent? Um, I don't know. But you think about, if we think about this as a journey that all of us are on, and maybe we're all Jaredites in this boat of earth and we're on our way to something bigger and better. We're going to come across trials along the way. Wars, pestilence, famine, all kinds of crazy stuff, even just political turmoil that's going to challenge us. And how we respond to that will define who we are and where we stand. What, are, what is your foundation based on? If you're just going to allow it to, to overpower you and take over and say, well, then none of this is worth it. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters anymore. Yeah. And just be tossed around. That's like if you were a Jaredite and you got out of the boat and just laid down on the water and said, okay, whatever happens, happens. Stay in the boat. Use the light of God that he's given you so that you can see well, the I, truth. I appreciate Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the prophets and the leaders who continuously tell us this is the journey along the way. There's going to be opposition. Along the way, there's, there is a place for that sentiment of rest, of there's no, there's no evil to be had on, upon the land. There is a place like that, and it's okay to yearn for it. But right now, we're in it. We're in the sea. We're, on the, we're traveling. We're on the path. We're hanging to the rod. Hanging to the rod doesn't mean you're at the tree eating the fruit. Hanging to the rod means hanging and I'm walking and I'm climbing and I keep going and going and and I think I think sometimes we rob ourselves of happiness because we store it up for some future event when this happens and we see this in all people irregardless of religion when when I graduate high school when I get my driver's license when I get my car when I get married when I get my job when I get my dream job when I retire we always like we stuck in these things as this perception of a moment when we we're going to be happy, free from evils, free from trials. But as soon as we amount, we, we, we gain a new skill, we will gain a test that comes along with that skill. We're on a trajectory to learn. And, and the ultimate thing we're here on earth is to learn to master ourselves, master our agency, master our bodies and our spirit, and align ourselves with a path that makes us happy or with the perception of happiness that leads us 
to 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 remorse and anger and, and frustration. And it, it's really sad because I often think about how people interpret this pandemic. We could we could look at it with some hope, knowing that as we've seen our countries and our societies continuously move away from God, could we be hopeful that this will be something that will help people become reconciled with him? That we can maybe get touched in our hearts and have difficult things happen that will help us reconcile ourselves? And, and maybe, maybe you are at a good place and something bad has still happened to you. Well, isn't isn't it better to know and know that you're right with God and that he knew and knows these bad things and he won't forget you? Or or sometimes we're tempted to cast them off as if as if he didn't care. He he allowed this bad thing to happen when we're not there yet. We're not we're not at the celestial kingdom. We're not at the place where he's promised when you get here, you will know, and I will dry every tear, and I will make it all right. But right now, kind of, you're in school, and then school requires that we're all going to bleed a little bit. We're all going to hurt. And to some, it comes at different stages, and that's in, in different ways. And we are tempted to think that because I'm going through a hard thing, that it's only me being punished. But it's like, and you see someone happy, and they may have had some trials already that they will overcome, or their trials upcoming. And we shouldn't. It's it's really easy to to let to let the world make us feel like we're alone. And I think that's why Nephi Nephi walked a lonely road. A lot of these prophets did, and they take so much solace in the words of Isaiah. Because the messages of Isaiah really remind us we're not alone. We're not cast off. The Lord has done great things. He will do great things. And look what's coming at the end. Look at these major victory signposts that you can look forward to. And if you and if you can only live one day at a time, live one day at a time. If if thinking too much of what's coming next, what, what's happening next week. If you're in a situation where you can't think that far ahead, then don't worry about it. You know, think just today. What can I do today? How can I get through today? And if you do it with faith and, and, and you do it with gratitude and you allow hope to be kindled inside of you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will see that he will deliver you. Just a little glimmer of hope can spark the biggest flame of faith. And, 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 and that's, that's what we're reading in these scriptures. We're reading individuals who lived in times that were very wicked or, or very bad things happened to them. Abinadi, Abinadi had no, no reason but to be obedient. And it was, he was met with a horrible death and a horrible outcome. But... But so are we, and you know, to us it may not be that extreme, but seeing people we love suffer, feeling neglected, feeling forgotten, uh, having stresses of life, of financial cares, and you know, all of these things. And sometimes you have to take a step back and say, I, I just need to worry about today. 
and I hope tomorrow is better. And today I'm going to do whatever I can to give the Lord something and put him first in some way, as insignificant as it may be or seem like, oh, well, so-and-so donated $20 million and they built the Nauvoo Temple, you know, like, well, maybe for you it's just take five minutes and write Heavenly Father a letter or or take five minutes and just think about what you're grateful for. Or even just this week that our prophet has said, take every day an opportunity to post something that you're grateful for. And if you can't post it, tell it to somebody. And if you, there's no one that wants to hear you, write it down and pray about it and tell Heavenly Father about it. There's some aspect of this that you can do. And I, and like the prophet said, he's given us a promise. In, in kind of an experiment, see how you feel at the end of this and see if you are happier. And this is a perfect example where a prophet has given us an opportunity to increase our testimony by doing this simple thing. I can't remember the exact terms he used, but it was something like fast acting and long lasting remedy. And I saw that kind of in some of the promotional uh, stuff leading up to the video today. That kind of quote of the prophet will give us a fast acting and long lasting or something like that remedy to to the perils and, and trials of our day. And I was like, what could that possibly be that he hasn't said already? And I don't think it was something incredibly revolutionary. I don't think it was anything, you know, new that he came and said, guess what? We haven't ever told you this before. This is brand new stuff straight from God. It was, hey, let me remind you. Be grateful. Be thankful. Yes, I know that there are some situations out there that are terrible. And I know that a lot of you feel really downtrodden and feel really burdened and anxious. And even just like some for some people, just going to the store is a horrible experience. Because for any number of reasons. Or, you know, he, he highlighted more than just the pandemic. It's racism. It's just hate and lack of civility that's out there. Just knowing that you could go out there and someone could be overly and unnecessarily rude or mean to you. Or you don't have to go out. It's on social media, too. People just trolling each other or saying things, you know, to, to get a rise out of people. And he's saying, you know what? Let's just be, let's show some gratitude. Let's be thankful. Think of something every single day and use that, use that time to express gratitude to the Lord you're not going to be able to be angry and full of hate if you start really, truly being grateful. I liked how he also shared some personal examples of some significant trials he's had in his life yeah. and how they were not fun to go through. And still to this day, you can see when he speaks of his daughters that yeah. it hurts. But then he says there's still hope there is some good things I can still and and that's probably a place where you think how could I ever be happy again and you can um, well losing your wife he lost his wife and he is a doctor and he said <laughs> I had significant training in curing the exact thing that took her life how you know no one would blame him for being angry and frustrated for the rest of his life I devoted my life to saving other people. I devoted my life to learning all of this and, and, and dedicating hours and years of service as a doctor 
just to have my wife taken from me? What kind of joke is that, God? You know, like, how how dare you? And instead, he looks at it and says, it was, what 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 can I do except express gratitude for the 60 years that we had, we spent together, with the, for the family that we were able to create, for the experiences we were able to have. And then, in the future, show gratitude that he sent another woman into my life that I could spend the rest of my life with. You know, that brings me happiness today. And that's such a healthy way to look at trial and such a healthy way to, to look at some of the tribulations that we face. Because I think that a lot of times it's really easy to blame God or to blame 2020 as if it's this entity that is working against us. You know, no, the entity that's working against you, Satan. And the way he's working against you is making you give up, making you lose track and making you get lazy or even just frustrated. And the only way to combat that, number one, apparently, is to show gratitude. And then second is to act on that gratitude. I've, I've always felt, and I've felt this for many years now, that when we show gratitude, the Lord will bless us more. And if we don't show gratitude for what we have, he'll take away the things that we have. Because it's like, if you don't appreciate this, then you don't need it. And I think he's trying to show us we have so many amazing things happening around us. We've been able to apparently create a vaccine, you know, multiple vaccines faster than ever before because so many people are dedicated to that effort and we have technology and medicine that we've never had before. If, you know, let's, be, worst, let's show gratitude for that. If the worst, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of this situation because there are a lot of people that have been very affected and everybody's been affected indirectly or directly. But... I hear a lot of complaining from individuals that the worst thing asked of them is to stay home <laughs> in the comfort of a really nice home with a fridge full of food where they can get food either delivered to them and they, or they can still go to the market and there's still food. I mean, it's it, we should be grateful that you can go to Walmart and it's still fully stacked. You know, uh, <laughs> you know there, there are things, and, and I'm not trying to beat people up with positive gratitude. But I think it's important that we look at scenarios and not allow the negative aspects, which negativity or, or negative things are not bad in and of themselves. They happen. But what we're being asked is also recognize there's another influence. There's a good influence. There's always two sides to a coin. And if we stack our life always looking at the the bottom of the rug where all the dirt gets piled and all we do is, is lift up rugs and look at the bottom see look there's dirt in here too everybody come over here come look and we never appreciate the top of the rug the tapestry the art the art then we're going to go through life bitter and that bitterness will will grow and we'll become a person that can be easily manipulated and deceived I think gratitude prevents you from being manipulated by the pervasive cultural winds of our time. We, we see that a lot of information, the way it's presented to the people through media sources is through a negative outlook because we're automatically attracted to that kind of thing as 
we want to we can't believe something so terrible has happened we don't want this terrible thing to happen to us and then before you know it if we spend too much time there we allow fear to be the driving influence in our thought process and decision making and the opposite of that is faith and faith is not blind to fear faith is not and being faithful and, and being optimistic isn't being uh, what is it like those ostrich pictures where they have their head stuck in the sand where, where they just pretend there's nothing wrong. We're not being asked to pretend there's nothing wrong. We're not even being asked to pretend you don't feel sad. You don't feel anxiety or you don't feel hurt. You're being asked to consider there may be good things in your life as well. That they, that they, that there's also an influence for good and that Heavenly Father hasn't forgotten us. I imagine that in that 344-day journey across the ocean, there were days when they felt forgotten. I imagine there were days when they felt like, what are we doing? We're out here. Does it really take this long? How big is this ocean? I'm pretty sure we saw that rock already. You know, <laughs> Why are we going in circles? When will we be delivered from this? And, and yet the Lord never left them. He spared them from getting hit by, it says, you know, monsters and the whales would not mar them. And basically saying that in this open sea situation where anything can happen, they were protected the whole time. Even through the worst storms and everything, they were protected. The storm well, is still there. That's my point. The there, storm there, is still there. The threats are still there, but you're protected. And if you still maintain that connection to Heavenly Father, and if you still maintain that faith in you, no storm can overcome you. The storm doesn't go away. The storm doesn't just disappear or, you know, everyone else is in a storm, but you're in the sunshine. But you're able to withstand it better. Yeah, I, I think about the opportunity of going on a mission. And when you're faced with that, it's like a mini journey you're taking for two years, right? You know there's an end to it. But there are times in it that it feels forever. There are times in it when you feel, I think they sent me to the wrong place, you know, <laughs> or, you know, there, there's, but when you get out of it, and even before it, when you're going to make that decision to go on a mission, to go serve, you can feel as if there, you can't see life after it. You see this giant thing you have to do for whatever reason, but then you look at a good decision now. And that journey you went through, it's still paying dividends. It's in it, it's it it's not forgotten. And and I think sometimes the journeys of our life are like that. When we're going through them, we can't see life after this. We can't see uh, how this is beneficial, or we you know many other feelings you know the, the, of inadequacy or or, but. Once you've done it, it pays dividends. When you have a baby and you're every five minutes is a diaper change, every thing is the thing. And there's like few minutes where you're like, oh, you love this baby so much. And it's like, I would change a million diapers for you. And you honestly feel that. But then a couple of days later, you're into another blowout and you're like, <laughs> how in the world? It, it, but that's how we live. That's the experience of this life. You know, memory tends to favor 
an optimistic outlook. And, and if we harbor pessimism or negativity or fear, we'll look at life, the journey we, we've been through, our novel here that we've written, and we will be disappointed that we didn't stop and appreciate the beautiful things in life. Because at the end of this day, all of our lives end. We are all going back. And whether we do so in ignorance, whether we do so grudgingly, or whether we try to pretend that it never even was, we will have to face our creator. And we will have to account for what we've done. And, it, and at that moment, I think he will provide us with a better perspective. It's it's an interesting set of chapters because really after chapter six, basically starting with chapter seven, all the way through 11, it's all about kings that are rising and falling. And it's a it kind of, you lose track of who's who and what's what and how many generations have gone by. But the message is the same, that no matter what the people are going through, we have to maintain number one, gratitude, number two, humility and faith. Well, you also see that you almost feel like this desperation among the people trying to muscle their way to a solution without using the Lord. Yeah. And they, they get glimmers of almost hope, but it's not sustainable and it's and it, it will not function. And I and I think we we're we're all here to learn that message that there's only one path of happiness. And that path is narrow. I envision it narrow, but as we travel it, we find that there's all the room we want for everything we want within the And sometimes it's just a matter of being patient. Where the world tells us, put everything you want up front, and then, and then you hate the path you're on having to live with yourself, knowing that you have not followed the right way. And all those riches turn to ashes, where in the Lord's path, all of our trials turn to triumphs. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come. Follow me.